Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say my guest this week is Dave Gray. He's the founder of Explain, a multiple author. And for the topic of this week's podcast, uh, he wrote the book Liminal Thinking. Dave, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Richard. Great to be here. So I first heard the term uh, liminal from a previous guest on the, on the show, Dave Snowden. Uh, it was intrigued me as a term, and he uses it in the context of his complexity uh, framework. I then discovered this realm of, of liminal thinking and then, and then your book. Uh, I've, I've now digested that book with relish. So perhaps we could start with sharing with the audience what we mean by the term liminal, actually, and then we can broaden out to liminal thinking. Yeah, liminal simply means the space between. So it's, uh, it's but, you know, liminal can be a space or a time. So liminal time might be uh, while you're waiting for a bus. Uh, liminal space might be a bus station or uh, airport where people are in transition. So liminal simply means a state or time of transition where you're between one state and another. Okay, and and liminal thinking? Well, liminal thinking is a, a way of applying that idea of being in an in-between state and to find ways to do it intentionally to change your life. So if you feel like you're uh, stuck or in habits and routines that are not working for you, liminal thinking is a way to apply liminality to, uh, to change that, to initiate changes in your life and your world. Right. So it's deliberately going into this, I don't know, but the, the word that comes to me is something like a neverland or a, mm -hmm. a state in between deliberate, deliberately entering that space as a way to in, invite change or to, yeah, to, to have change happen? Deliberately break patterns and try on new ones to see if they can be more successful for you. So it's a very, it's a very experimental approach. Um, I came to the term, the term comes from anthropology actually, and it, uh, it originates with rites of passage. So when people are studying um, uh, people who have initiation rights from childhood to adulthood and that kind of thing. That's where the term originally came from. In between, there's a period where you're in these rituals where you're no longer a child and you're, you're not yet an adult. And uh, that's where it originally came from. And, uh, you know, I originally started out to write a book on agility. I was trying to find and interview people who had been able to be successful in very unpredictable and chaotic environments, whether it's, I talked to people who were in, uh, uh, I talked to soldiers, I talked to uh, people who are in, you know, ambulance drivers and firefighters and, um, you know, all kinds of people in the, in who operate in zones or areas where uh, there's a lot of unpredictability and they have to be very agile. And the original title of the book was, I think agile, agile, agile thinking or something like that. And uh, what I came to discover is that the people who are good at navigating these uh, kinds of environments also happen to be good at um, creating uh, liminal space and, and time for themselves and being able to sort of, uh, well, it turns out that they tend to be agile about their belief systems. There's a lot of the times the things that are stopping you from being successful happen to be beliefs that are, you know, you've developed over many years and, um, but they're no longer true. And, uh, you know, you think about, um, you know, uh, fighting wars when you used to fighting against armies and now you're fighting against uh, guerrillas and terrorists, you have to change your thinking quite a bit and the old ways don't work anymore. Um, and I think that's true if, if you're for a lot of people in a lot of situations, business people as well, when, you know, I don't have a customer right now that isn't concerned about Amazon and companies like Amazon that are rapidly disrupting the business landscape. And again, people are in a situation where the old ways of doing things, the old uh, uh, methods don't seem to work. They're doing them harder and they're not and they're still failing. And so that's often the case in businesses that have been around for a long time that are being disrupted by new 
and different thinking kinds of competitors. So it turns out liminal thinking or being able to think differently is really, really important uh, for business people as well. Right. And so, so liminal thinking is, is about thinking differently, but it's a sort of very, very specific way of thinking about thinking differently, right? Yeah, there are some principles and practices that you've read the book, so uh, mm. um, I don't have to tell you, but uh, it's broken down into uh, six principles and nine practices that help you. And uh, the book has exercises in it and uh, things that you can try out. Um, and a lot of it has to do with learning how to try on different beliefs. And uh, you, you don't have to believe something is true in order to act as if it was true. And so, uh, you know, part of what, you know, I think one of the core aspects of the book is that you can explore what other things might be true in terms of your belief systems. You can, you can try on some different beliefs, even if they seem ridiculous or improbable, you can adopt them uh, kind of, uh, you can adopt them uh, on a kind of a temporary basis and try and act as if they're true to see what happens. And what people often find is that you might have a belief, for example, that your, uh, your boss hates you. <laughs> and, um, but the truth is that because you have that belief, you act as if it, the belief is true and you tend to reinforce the belief and you tend to make, you know, what you tend to believe often will tend to make things true. Um, you know, if in the case of uh, competing against Amazon, many people believe it's hopeless. They have no, there's nothing they can do. There's no options that they have. And in, the, uh, in that case, I think it's very important for people to start thinking about, well, what else might be true? Uh, what, what, do, what do we have? We still have customers. Why do we have customers? And start to ask them. And I think in many cases in the business world, it comes down to getting better at talking to your customers and listening to customers and listening between the lines to things they may or maybe not saying. And sometimes it comes down to listening better to frontline employees. And, and you know, people might, you might think they have, uh, you know, nothing to say, but often the frontline employees are more up to date with the current realities of business and the people at the top uh, are were on the front line 20, 30 years ago. So they've become somewhat removed from the realities of the business. And the, and when things are changing as rapidly as they are today, uh, you can get out of date pretty quickly and you can get out of touch pretty easily. So part of this is about sort of actively going out and seeking out beliefs that might be different to your own. Yeah, absolutely. Getting out of your, I mean, a lot of the uh, uh, book is about getting outside of your bubble and how bubbles get created. Uh, bubbles of belief, I call them. And you can get into, uh, you know, certain, we all have people that we hang out with, people that we talk to, people that we listen to. And over time, uh, what ha can happen is you can get in this bubble of belief where you're reinforcing your existing beliefs and you're not really exploring the stuff that's outside of that. And why would you? Because why would you explore beliefs that seem ridiculous or improbable or unlikely? And uh, I mean, a famous one that I, I do discuss in the book is Detroit. When uh, Japanese cars started coming into the U.S. market and uh, the, the Detroit had been, you know, the companies in Detroit had been building cars in a such and such a way for so many years that they couldn't conceive of other ways of doing it. And so they had some thoughts about what it costs to build a car, um, how you build a car that were pretty cemented. And at first they just couldn't believe that, you know, Japanese cars could be built so cheaply and at such high quality. And it took 20, 20, 30 years before they actually started to, you know, break down their belief systems and start to, you know, uh, get with it, the program. And now they've caught up to, to a great degree, but uh, it can take a long, long time to even begin to question your beliefs, when, especially when they've worked for you for so many years. They've worked well. Right. And you say in the book, uh, this quote, people rarely test ideas for external validity when they don't have internal 
coherence. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Bre break that down a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, beliefs are funny, and a belief is simply a story in your head. And uh, you know, a belief that has internal coherence is one that makes sense, and uh, one that you know you you don't tend to question beliefs that make sense. And the fact is that uh, the world is constantly changing outside you, and so. You know, we all know people as they get older, they get maybe more rigid in their beliefs. We all have parents who uh, have what we might consider to be outdated ideas. And sometimes it can be hard to, you know, you go to uh, family events on the holidays and you get in arguments sometimes with parents and, and uncles and so forth who seem to have crazy ideas or they seem to be in their bubble. You seem to be in your bubble and you have conflict. You see this on social media a lot as well. And the political realm, you know, the people who are, um, you know, in one political camp have their stories. People in another political camp have their stories and you have uh, events happen. They get interpreted through a lens and through a story. And that's what I mean by internal coherence. And when you have internal coherence, you you look around to the people who agree with you and you tend to, you know, so associate with people who agree. And that's how belief bubbles form. And it's very hard to get outside of that go outside. And it's not comfortable to go to talk and actually listen to people who disagree with you and try and, you know, ask yourself, well, what if, what if that were true? What would I, how would I act differently if that were true? Yeah. That's just hard. I'm, it's hard to do, and most people don't do it. But it's the truth is that that's where you're going to get your, your most of your new ideas and most of your innovation is by going outside your bubble. Uh, they say uh, get outside the building is a phrase that people often use to say, you know, you're not going to get any new ideas sitting inside your office, sitting inside the building. You're getting new ideas going out and visiting other companies, going to visit customers and so forth. Right. And and have you got an example of when you've stepped outside of your bubble and your experience of that personally? Oh, yeah. Well, there are a lot of them. I mean, I think it's there's one thing that I try and do is I try and look at news media, a lot of different news media. And so, uh, you know, we have in here in the US, we have this whole war on terror that started on 9-11. And um, you know, I started looking at Al Jazeera for news. And uh, I think that you, you start to see things from a very different perspective when you start. And it's easy to do nowadays, uh, although a lot of people don't do it. But it's easy to, you know, go find alternative news sources and look at different um, sources of information and kind of expand your bubble. And when I was writing the book, I did that. I, I did my first series of interviews. And they were people that I knew and people that were recommended to me. And I started, I actually, they were video interviews and I, I had done about 15 or 20 interviews and I, I was looking at the page one day and I realized they all looked like me. They were all, you know, middle-aged white men. And, uh, uh, and I didn't at first know how to break out of that bubble. And they were all often kind of saying a lot of the same things. They were in the, there were, most, there were many of them were leaders or well-known people in the agile software community. And um, so I went on Facebook and I asked for help. And, uh, you know, uh, I got, it was uncomfortable because I got some mixed kind of comments like, you know, what, oh, you only want to talk to me because I'm a woman or you only want to talk to me because I'm black and that's not very flattering or, you know, uh, but you know, the truth is you have to go and you have to make yourself vulnerable to, you know, get outside of your bubble sometimes. And what did happen was I had a few people respond to me privately and introduce me to people. And that's where the book really started to take shape and where I really started to learn when I started to talk to people who were um, in very different communities that, that I didn't usually talk to. Right. And can you think of an example where you got a kind of a belief challenge through one of those those conversations? Hmm. Well, 
Well, I was doing my best to listen. And uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Mm. No, but that, that makes sense. It actually ref refers to something in the book because one of the things I liked was you, you talked um, you talked about a particular consultant in the book who, uh, when he entered companies, he had this 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 particular fact. No, it was it was he'd gone out to I think it was Somalia. That was the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's out. He's out. I think it's Mogadishu, and he tell. The, the story is ultimately about you know how he how he fixes refrigeration for yeah. uh, mm -hmm. for a fish market but, but well actually you tell the story and and the questions and the way in which he's, he approaches his conversations i thought that was fascinating yeah his name was mitch uh his, i'm not getting it his last name isn't um uh coming to me right now but he uh he somehow he came to the uh, awareness that um the you know he saw fishermen catching plenty of fish and he noticed that uh they were people were still having problems and he recognized that one of the issues was that uh there was no refrigeration so the fishermen uh weren't making any money because everyone knew that at the end of the day they had to sell the fish and or they were uh or they were uh, out of luck they had to throw them away so people would come at the end of the day to buy the fish and they so uh fishermen weren't really making a sustainable living and there wasn't any electricity in Somalia at the time. And so he, um, and a lot of liminal thinking is about noticing, noticing things that you don't ordinarily notice. And he was, uh, walking in a part of the city that had no electricity. And I think he, he got a lemon ice, like a, some kind of a icicle or ice cone. And he thought to himself, well, how did this happen? Uh, and he asked uh, where, how this was done. And he found out that uh, there was a guy who had these giant sort of, I think they were just giant sort of sarcophagus shaped uh, containers with, uh, I think, car batteries attached to them where he was somehow finding a way to make ice. And he was able to um, get that technology transferred to the, fish market and help that situation right and and i think that that, that point about noticing was the really the seminal point for me in that story because he, he went around and he opened these really asked these really open questions like describe your day mm -hmm. like what's what's the biggest challenge in your day right now like trying as much as at least the way i read it trying as much as possible to put any beliefs he might have about the situation to to the back of his mind and just open and asking these very open questions. I actually, now I do remember a place, a time where my, while I was writing the book, when my beliefs were totally challenged, in fact, totally shattered. And, uh, I was talking to a woman who, uh, again, whose name escapes me right now, but, uh, she said to me, I told her I was writing a book on agility and she said, well, and I was talking about the world being more complex than it used to be. And she uh, disabused me pretty quick of both of those notions. First, she said, well, you know, agility is just a fad. It's uh, being agile doesn't help any more than being rigid. It's just a thing. Uh, you know, agility isn't something to be um, that's special. You know, everything depends on the situation. And she said, the world, if you think the world is more complex than it used to be, try living in the woods for a month. Um, you know, it's it's always been complex and it always will be complex. And, you know, it was it, it hasn't it isn't any more complex now than it was thousands of years ago when we were hunter gatherers, you know, living off the land. And so uh, she sort of threw me off my whole plan for my book and everything because I I realized she was right. And uh, for a, actually a few months, I was kind of completely crushed because my whole book had fallen apart and you know all the premises have uh, were gone and I, I i was in a a very i was in a liminal state that didn't feel very good it felt like being in the belly of the whale or in the the pit uh in star wars the garbage pit i was just like dumped into this very low state and uh but it turned out that was the turning point and that was the thing that helped me see that the book wasn't really about agility at all it was about uh, beliefs and how we 
form them, how we change them, how we come to uh, uh, replace outdated beliefs with better beliefs. And that's an ongoing process that is a lifelong thing. Right. Right. And, and, and so the way that the book, the book is structured is in, in the first one, you, you talk about, you know, part one's called how beliefs shape everything uh, and how they, they kind of defend themselves. They're tied to identity. They're like this fixed material. I'm struck by this image in the book where you have a guy like holding a, like a cloud as if it's a belief is like a thing. It's like this material mm-hmm. that, um, kind of binds us in some sense right mm-hmm. and uh they create this shared world and then you talk about like what to do about it um and i think we've started to touch on that so one of it is about going out there and deliberately seeking out people who may have beliefs that are different to yours asking these open questions like as you, like an observer seeking to notice what might be different um of of the practices that you enumerate in the book what which are the ones that have really worked well for you in kind of developing this 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 skill i think one of my favorite is act as if and that simply means you know um even if you don't believe something is true you can choose to act as if it was true you know back to the example of you think your boss hates you well you can choose to uh, uh, imagine that your boss likes you and start to act as if that were true and you know then you can say okay well what would i do differently would i ask my boss to lunch would i um would i smile more would i show up to meetings in a different way would i do my work differently and you can even if you don't believe something to be true you can act as if it were true and what people often find is that acting as if something is true uh, leads to discovering that they are actually are true because our actions are a much and our, our thoughts and our, our actions are a much bigger part of those uh, systems than we think they are. And the, the fact is that we tend to perpetuate our beliefs and, and make them into self-fulfilling prophecies by the way that we act. Right. So act as if this other thing were true, right? Um, and you have that wonderful, this other belief were true. And, you have this wonderful uh, story in the book in Dallas um, where they they make some changes to the street furniture, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That was a Do that was need- actually where they 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 broke a law actually, or they broke some regulations. There were um, they, I think one of the guys had been to Europe and he had seen, uh, you know, cafe cafe tables on the streets and. Uh, a lot of these, you know, things that make streets more livable and more uh, pedestrian friendly and bike friendly. And he came back to Dallas and looked at all the big wide streets and the freeways and really felt um, he wanted to see something like that happening in Dallas. And uh, I think it was Dallas. And That's right. uh, he went and... Uh, I think he went and looked up some of the regulations and found that there were all kinds of regulations that were against that. Uh, but he decided for a, a weekend, or I think it was a week or a weekend, to just make it happen. And he picked an area, and they painted new lines on the streets, and they put tables out, and they got the uh, um, they got the restaurants and uh, local shops to agree to it. <clears throat> and they they literally changed the whole street around, and they. I believe they invited some of the uh, regulators, some of the people who were and the politicians down to see what they had done. And they asked them why these regulations existed. And it turns out, uh, in fact, nobody knew why they existed or, you know, and uh, I believe if I remember right, he was able to even change some of the regulations. Right. Cause again, yeah, the book you talk about, so these, uh, the city officials come down and, see this this wonderful site and and he challenges them why have we got these rules and the and the city officials like well we don't really know <laughs> they've yeah. just kind of grown up over time and some of them are hundreds of years old and so so it was a way of uh of challenging their beliefs by taking action uh yeah in a in a radical way but had them jump out of their belief bubble yeah and again that's a way of acting as if and i think you know what you know 
we get into patterns and, you know, in a lot of ways, our lives are like this kind of hypnotized dance where we do one thing and other people react and we act in a predictable way and other people react in a predictable way and other people react in a predictable way. And we, <clears throat> we're constantly being predictable and we like routine. People don't like, you know, uh, strange or unpredictable things. And so that seems normal. And what people, uh, what you can do though, is when you go off that dance, when you go into a, when you start acting in an unpredictable way, you throw off, you sort of throw off the whole, um, you know, zombie routine and you start to introduce new and fresh ideas. And that can be, that can be good or bad. But, um, if you, if you're really not happy with the status quo, then that's a, a good way to get started. Right, the, the the pattern interrupts. In fact, you share about the story with your your wife and your son and the Wi-Fi. Is that right? Yeah, just I mean, just going off script is a a great way to you know kind of introduce shake things up. You don't even have to know why you're going off script, or you don't even have to have a plan necessarily. You just you start doing something you know just different than you would typically do. Um, I talked to a guy. Um, I have a friend who was telling me the story of how he. Uh, there was a cemetery near where he lived. He lived in England, in a, uh, northern England. And there was a cemetery. He would just go and walk in the cemetery. And uh, it was a quiet place. He would walk and maybe sit down. And uh, it was next to a church. <clears throat> and unbeknownst to him, there was a, a priest in the church who noticed him walking around out there. And so uh, he... So the, he got the church to put out a couple of benches and then a table. And then they started serving sandwiches on Sundays. And uh, he didn't find out till much later that all of this started because he was simply walking around in the cemetery and he was uh, spending time there. And this was something, again, that the, uh, the priest noticed. Again, noticing and paying attention and trying to support. And so the guy was simply trying to support something that he already observed happening. He wanted more community around the church. He maybe had never thought of the cemetery uh, as a place that could be social, um, but he saw something starting to happen and then he began to support it. And it gradually, uh, I believe now it's a, it's a pretty, they're talking about putting more tables and serving more food and it's uh it's becoming more and more of a social hub and it just started with him one guy walking around the cemetery right and then the, the priest noticing it and not and allowing himself not to be fixed by a belief well community happens in the church or mm -hmm. i reach my parishioners it's yeah and, mm -hmm. and kind of going with it right going with what's emerging mm -hmm. yeah yeah i like that um so yeah, that was in fact that's another one of your practices, right? Disrupt routines, practice six. Um, you've got a couple. Well, I think I, I think the other one is is this is is one that sounds great, but it's difficult. Right? The the idea of emptying your cup, mm. um, and you talk about the story. There was a famous story, really, with the, uh, the 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 Zen master and the professor. Is mm. it worth sharing that for people? Like, like yeah, I mean, it's a it's a famous one, so many people may have heard it. But uh, the story is that a, a guy, an American, goes to the Zen master and um, wants to study with him, and uh, he won't stop talking about Zen. And uh, the master is pouring him tea, and the tea starts overflowing the cup, and the guy says, "Stop filling my cup; it's already full." And he said, "Well, that's uh, that's you. I can't teach you because your cup is full." And I think that most of us are walking around in our lives and our, our cups are full. We have, we have all of our ideas. We, we know who uh, the assholes are. We know who the good people are. We know who the, we have put people into categories. We know what companies are good companies and what companies are bad companies and where the bad parts of town are and all this. And we have all these, our cup is full with all these notions about the world that we don't ever test. And uh, 
before you can actually start testing your beliefs, you have to kind of try and empty out your mind of those beliefs and try and experience things as if you're experiencing them for the first time. And that can be, uh, that can be difficult. And it's not always wise. I mean, you don't, you don't always want to just walk into a, um, you know, situations that could be dangerous uh, without, you know, caution. And so I think it's something to be, um, you know, done carefully. But I think it's, you know, when you meet a person, perhaps judging them by their appearance is a bad idea, uh, you know, or going too quickly to judgment about other people is, you know, again, having your cup already full. We all have prejudices and uh, we, in fact, we couldn't get through life without some stereotypes and prejudices, but um, it's important to bring those into check and give people a chance and situations a chance uh, to, uh, if you want to expand your horizons, because, you know, the truth is that everyone has a reality that's and belief system that's based on their experiences. And uh, you will never know, I will never know what it's like to grow up as a black American, for example. Uh, I can, I can only guess, I can only imagine, but I cannot I can't, I never had those experiences and I will not have those experiences. So I, again, I'll have a different reality and different beliefs and different beliefs about uh, a lot of things, the work environment, um, police, politics, etc. And so right. I think it's, you know, if you, uh, you know, often the instinct when someone disagrees with you is to argue and, or has a different experience. It's, it's often quick to go to argument. And I think it's much more interesting to open yourself up and spend some time listening and trying to really hear other people and without interrupting, without judging. And, uh, that's a good example of what I mean by emptying your cup, mm -hmm. learning, learning to ask questions, learning to be curious, uh, learning not to, you know, quickly move to judgment. Uh, I think that's something that people, uh, I've seen it a lot in engineers, you know, engineers have a very, you know, uh, prescribed way of looking at the world. Engineers are problem solvers. They have techniques that work for them. Um, and, uh, I've noticed that sometimes engineers can be quick to go, well, that can't be done or, you know, uh, and sometimes that is based on an idea that things have to be done a certain way or that. You know, there's one way to do things or, you know, or they have a way of doing things. And, you know, there's a famous saying, surgeons always recommend surgery. <laughs> you know, surgeons solve problems by cutting people open. So when a surgeon comes across a problem, the first place they go, of course, is cutting people open. And uh, that isn't necessarily always the best option. So we all need to be aware that we're walking through life with a certain bubbles and a certain amount of blinders and uh, that we are only seeing a limited subset of reality. And the more that you want to have see change or different things happen in your life, the more you need to open it, it kind of expand your, your uh, horizon. And that means going to places that you don't normally go talking to people that you don't normally talk to, uh, listening to people that you don't normally listen to and suspending your disbelief, suspending your judgment. Right. And, and so in, in terms of how you practice this, is this for you when you're in conversation, making sure you ask certain types of questions? Is it meditation? What, what is it that you sort of practically do that, that our listeners might be able to learn from in terms of emptying your cup? Well, um, like you, I, I enjoy interviewing people. Um, I try and ask people, uh, I try and look for people that are outside of the beaten track that maybe aren't heard from so much. Um, I try and list, I try and ask questions that give them the chance to talk about things that I might not ask. Sometimes I love to ask the question, you know, what, what have I, what haven't I asked you that? You oh, know, right. Yeah. Um, and, 
there's a uh, you know there's such a thing as an open question which is a question that doesn't lead to a yes or no you you've asked me quite a lot so what do you think about this or or um you know an open question just allows someone to go into uh, a ramble or a rant or a story that might lead you to uh, new insights that you wouldn't have otherwise. So, um, yeah, and I think, you know, social media is very interesting because it's very good at reinforcing bubbles and reinforcing existing beliefs. But you can, uh, you can expand your horizons also on social media if you learn how to use it that way. And uh, by looking at news sources that you don't, that, you know, maybe you're outside of your country. Um, I find, and not everyone can do this, but I've been lucky in the sense that I've been able to travel the world, you know, getting inside of another culture, being able to immerse yourself in other cultures for a while. I, I lived in Spain for a year. Um, those kind of things can really help because you start to see the world very, very differently. You know, some people who live and experience life very differently, you can, um, you know, I think that traveling is one of the best things. And uh, to some degree, I'm jealous of those people who live in Europe because in the U.S., uh, it's just we have this huge, huge uh, country without a lot of variety, without a lot of diversity. And, um, you know, at least from one city to another, or from one part of the country to another, compared to Europe, where you have so many different, you know, very different cultures, different languages, different traditions, different cultures within a very small footprint. So it's much easier in Europe to get those different experiences and experience different cultures than it is in the U.S. Right. And even now, as I'm thinking, I've got a cheeky thought going, oh, here's one of your bubbles. Here's, here's a belief you've got about Europe. Oh, or about the U.S. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could be. It's funny. I've become much more attuned to it. And earlier when you were about engineers i was like oh there's a belief about engineers it is a um, yeah it's a it's a it's a belief and i'm happy to have my beliefs challenged not, uh, not that i'm challenging them per se but it's, i'm just noticing that you, you've sort of raised my awareness and consciousness around <laughs> you know um the fact that we're all carrying we're all kind of running from a script running a script that's sort of founded in beliefs and i'm also thinking about there's somebody in my life who will remain nameless who in certain scenarios i go into a script of they're being a tyrant right mm. that th this is the story in my head they're being a tyrant and then i'm kind of gearing myself up for the actions i should take how do you react to a tyrant how, what's what's your reaction well like, you know well like, well I, you know i'm i'm trying to formulate different strategies like oh, well, i need to push back really hard or i need to make them aware of how tyrannical they're being or you know but but all of it comes from how do i deal with a tyrant mm -hmm. And not, and, and I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, well, what if my script, you know, what if my belief were different? This person was being, uh, I don't know, um, really mindful about their well-being right now, mm -hmm. for example. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, what would I, how would I react then? And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, but it takes this reflection, doesn't it? It takes this time to kind of, to, the space you know we talk talked about space in the book you know this idea about being in the space in between but it, it almost have to create my space space from myself mm -hmm. right so i have to kind of somehow distance the set of beliefs i have be be an observer of my own mind somehow i know that's probably not possible at some level but yeah that that idea that i can be that um seems to be uh yeah emerging for me as, as we talk yeah and giving yourself time to reflect your meditation can be good, uh, but just giving yourself enough time to maybe just sit and stare into space and without really trying to think about anything, um, giving yourself a little bit of uh, uh, open space in your life where you don't have anything special to do or anything planned and let things come to you, you know, and just, uh, you know, lie on your back in the grass and look at the sky or whatever it might be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. You talk at the back of the book about the, the philosophical underpinnings and some of the thinking here. Um, you mentioned the American pragmatists. You talk about something called non Aristotelian logic, which I thought was interesting. You talk about Plato metaphor of the game of, of the philosophical sort of, 
influences here which which were the most which were the strongest for you well this is something i've come across uh maybe a little bit more since writing the book but liminal thinking has a lot of overlap with something called cognitive behavioral therapy so cognitive behavioral therapy is the idea that what you think can influence your behavior and uh I think it's, there's a, certainly a lot of overlap. So if people want to read up on uh, the outside of my book, they want to read up on some of this stuff. I think cognitive behavioral therapy would be a good place to start. And a lot of that started with something called uh, brief therapy, which emerged in the Silicon Valley area in the 60s. I mean, before it was called Silicon Valley, um, back when it was still hippie land and uh, but brief therapy was very much about disrupting routines and, you know, uh, introducing unpredictable, you know, uh, thoughts and ideas into situations. Right, right. Um, well, that's what that's worth noting for people and brief, brief therapy. Yeah, uh, and what what struck me about the American pragmatist, which which uh, it comes up a lot in when I study complexity, and a couple of our guests who've been big into complexity reference the American pragmatist, pragmatist, and this idea of knowing the world as um, inseparable from the agency within it. So, like, I'm I'm somehow constructing my world mm -hmm. uh, as I live it. Right? That seems to be a, a pertinent idea that perhaps sits behind this thinking. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, William James is one of the, mo the most prominent of the American pragmatists. And one of the things that he um, has uh, said is that a theory should not be judged on whether it's true or not, because a theory is more like a tool. A theory should be judged on whether it gets you results, whether it works or not. And it's a very different way of thinking about theories. And if you if you think about you know, we, we argue a lot about whether things are true. And we less often test, just test whether they work. And, uh, you know, we expect all of our theories, again, to be coherent, internally coherent with each other. All of our theories should work together. And that's a great, you know, and noble goal for science, but they don't, they don't all work together. Even in science, they don't all agree. And it's actually a very good idea. I mean, it's it, it's not necessarily necessary that they agree for them to work. Is a if you think about, you know, it, and it's just it's at the same time in the same way that it's not necessary for all of us to agree for us to work together to do things. And you know, we it's easy to focus on areas of disagreement, uh, and it's uh, you know we can often. I mean, it's often the case that those disagreements are productive. Those are areas that are worth exploring, but they're worth exploring within the context of, well, we're trying to do the same thing. And uh, diverse ideas can lead to a lot, a lot of times to new insights and new ways of doing things as opposed to arguments. Right. So, so, so I think I'm getting two things there. So one is that we, we have different theories about how the world works, right? But also we should judge a theory based on whether it's has practical merit. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and that's, for example, religion, uh, you know, um, does, uh, do we judge, should we judge religions on whether they're true or should we judge them whether they're on their successful for people? <laughs> Right, and you know, if you judge if you if you judge them based on whether they're true or not, well, you certainly can't. You know, you, it's very hard to reconcile, you know, all the religions of the world with each other, and many of them are exclusionary. Uh, but if you judge them on whether they're they're successful or whether they work, then they all do work in different ways for different people. Right. Yeah, I can see how that would create opening. You know, and and becomes much easier for me to explore a theory if I'm coming at it from that basis, right? Does this work for you? Mm -hmm. Or could I imagine how this might work for you rather than is this right? Does this fit with my understanding of the world? I get, I can actually, yeah, right. It's a very different frame to be coming from. Mm -hmm. or, or even why does this theory work for people? That could be another. Yeah, absolutely. Idea. Or how did you come to this idea? 
or mm. what you know when was the first time you you thought about it this way what when did you first, you know there's an important idea in the book called a governing belief which is a belief that's sort of at the root of your identity it's a belief about beliefs about yourself and uh and those are tend to be very core you know i'm 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 confident i'm a loser i'll never win i uh i uh i'm on top of things i'm you know uh i've got my shit together you know whatever that might be um it's it's those are beliefs that are you know so core to your identity that changing if, if they're if they're challenged or uh they can truly be shattering and uh those are uh those are really tough ones to get over uh, but they can also lead to some of the most important transformations you think about people who have been alcoholics and you know broken that habit uh, for me you know quitting smoking was a was a big one you know uh i didn't believe i it was something i didn't believe i could do but once i had done it then suddenly i felt like anything was possible for me i i gained a huge amount of confidence and and uh uh and very rapidly after that changed a lot of things about my life so right these things you know these kind of core beliefs about yourself are important to uh and it's important to understand that they're not necessarily as rock solid as you might think they are, that they're still, even though they're core beliefs about yourself, that they're somehow vulnerable and people will tend to protect them. And uh, so you want to be careful when you're probing around people's core governing beliefs. Uh, you can get them into very defensive mode very quickly. Right. And that comes back to the pragmatist idea, because if I'm coming at their governing belief from the perspective of, well, how does this work for you? And why does it work for you? And how is this practical for you? Then that's, a, yeah, again, a different stance mm -hmm. than why do you have this? Right. <laughs> right. right. Uh, no, I can see that. Well, and congratulations on committing, uh, quitting smoking. That's uh... Thank you. So how long was that ago? How long ago was that? Oh, 25 years now. Like okay. All right. Maybe yeah. 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had some similar uh, shifts with, with, through doing therapy and uh, and coming to a belief I'm, I'm loved and lovable mm. is something that took me a lot of work to get to. And, and that really shifted my ability to, to relate to others, to, to have intimate relationships. Yeah. That's a, the, yeah. This I can, can happen. Uh, relating. Uh, someone in their 50s work for a company forever gets laid off for example uh, you know there there are many of these kind of you know life-shaking events um, that can really throw you for a loop and um, you know those are those are those are can be really rough times on a large level or a small level like I described with you know what happened with my book you know where I my whole project my year long project collapsed under me and I had to kind of reconstruct it from the ashes, so to speak. Um, that's a sort of a smaller one, but uh, they happen in small and large ways all the time. And being able to be flexible about your belief systems enables you to recover and uh, continue to grow and change. Mm. And yeah. Keep up with the world around you. Yeah. And you mentioned in the book about a friend of yours who does turnarounds for companies and mm -hmm. his reflection that a lot of companies will, uh, can be turned around if new management goes in because so often management are running on a set of governing beliefs that no number, no number, no longer fit their circumstance. Right? Yeah. In fact, I think he told me that, uh, when they acquire a company, they almost always get rid of the management because the management is usually the problem. Um, and uh, it's usually a rigid set of beliefs that have worked in the past well, but are no longer working. Uh, he's a, they, uh, he works for an equity company that buys distressed companies and turns them around. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> the, the sort of humanitarian in me wants to say, uh, yes, but there might be some tools in your book that would allow one to explore those governing beliefs. Yeah, that's uh, my, that's my it, hope. I mean, the people get 
these get these get this going before it's too late because by the time the turnaround guy comes it is too late so (laughs) you know to get people thinking outside of their bubble earlier when there's still time and there's still money and resources and um and so forth uh is pretty important yeah yeah people can be in denial for a long time and they a company can last for a long time on, you know, on its past uh, glory and uh, till there's nothing left. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to use one of the questions you suggested to me. So is there a question that uh, you would have expected to have been asked that I've not asked you? Hmm. I, I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm, I'm happy with your questions. I, I appreciate your time and uh, I uh, nope, I, I'm, I'm good. That's good. That's good to hear. Well, I certainly feel like you've, uh, you've been a great teacher on this call. I've learned, uh, oh, thank I've learned you. a lot. You've deepened my understanding of having read the book. Uh, yeah, and uh, th- this term that was somewhat esoteric to me, you know, before before reading this, this this idea of liminality or, or, or liminal spaces is now has a much more a much richer meaning. So, and I hope also for those listening to to this conversation. Well, thanks for having me. No, thank you. So, for those who want to learn more, um, I'll, for those who are watching, uh, you'll you'll see on the screen here the the liminal thinking book uh, by by Dave Gray. You can find it on on Amazon. Um, and where else would you you send people, Dave? Uh, people can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm Dave Gray on Twitter. Um, and, uh, those are probably the easiest ways to find me. And I have a, a, a personal website, explainer.com, X-P-L-A-N-E-R.com. And my company is explain.com, so it's X-P-L-A-N-E.com. And uh, if you uh, if you wanted help with your organization, that'd be the place to go. Uh, great. Well, again, thank you so much. And I also know on your website you've got some some videos and some talks as well mm-hmm. for those who are interested in uh, in, mm-hmm. in reading the book. They could they could check you out in uh, audio visual formats as well. Uh, so uh, once again, thank you so much for the conversation and for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Richard. Thank you.